To God be the glory. Because we need, we need these kind of soldiers. I've had the joy of traveling this country uh, on a couple of election cycles with E.W. Jackson. And he, he, what you heard today is just perfectly t- typical. Uh, this Harvard Law School graduate, full of truth. I'm adding Jay Carl to that list now. I told him on the way up here, let's get to know each other. Because I'm getting older and he looks a lot younger. I want you to take your Bible. It's late in the day. We're going to talk about some technical things today, the Jonathan Project, how to get your church registered, but I'll also give you a little motivation for doing that as well. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? It'll help you kind of get the the air flowing. And uh, I want you, when you uh, go to around the hotel tonight and you see those who weren't here, just shake your head. Say you wouldn't believe it. And, and then shake your head, you just wouldn't believe it. And uh, no matter how hard they try to get it out, you'd have had to have been there. You just, just wouldn't believe it. Now, I may bomb, but at least they'll wonder about it. Give me some light on this. And war broke out in heaven. I'm looking at Revelation chapter number 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. And they did not prevail, nor was their place found for them in heaven any longer. So that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come down. For the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. And they overcame him, if you know this, quote it. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives even unto death. That's what we've got to have. A decision to trust the blood of Jesus. A declaration with our lips. We can no longer be silent. But then as Steve uh, Regal so clearly spoke and more clearly lives... Love not our lives even unto death. I preached my whole ministry. This is, I'm trying to think. I started when I was about 19, so this would be the 51st year of preaching. I've crossed the 70 year old barrier. Well, I can't remember now. I did a few months back, March. Married my wife 50 years ago, this coming December the 27th. We got married on her birthday which is the dumbest thing we could have done in hindsight. We have four grandchildren. Three of them were born on the 28th of December. Make that work. It takes until July to get the credit cards paid. Five birthdays in three days counting Jesus. Amen? But I preached theory all along that it might cost us our life. But now I want you to know it sure might. May God give us the strength and the courage not to be ashamed Father, I ask you in Jesus' name to anoint the word. Bless us with your presence as you have through the day. Refresh these consecrated Christians. Lord, nothing harder for a preacher than to sit and not get to preach, especially when his heart's set on fire. You've privileged some of us with the opportunity to speak, but Lord, there's no question in my mind, some of these unknown preachers in this room, unknown to us, but known certainly to you, are the most powerful preachers of all. 
And may we simply pour into their life. Thank you for the incredible work and labor of love from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Lord, what a mighty commitment they've made to this financially, staff-wise. Lord, what two mighty men come from that place who blessed us with their speaking and with their lives. Now, Lord God, in this last hour, 45 minutes, let me literally set this room on fire, the fires of Christ, we pray. I want all of you standing to pray this after me. Lord Jesus, I testify of my love for you. Thank you for speaking through this day. Now, one more time, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I want to talk to you about the Jonathan Project, and we're going to see a series of slides that will express it. America's a special nation. You've heard this all day. Based on an idea, unlike other nations of the world, we weren't based on a skin color or an ethnic group, geographical. It is a place based on an idea, a very unique idea summarized in our mission statement, the Declaration of Independence. Read that with me. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with a certain unalienable rights among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We'll say more about that tomorrow. Satan hates America. Any disagreement with that? Ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're in the war for the soul of America. And we've heard so many articulate that. Uh, the Bible says that God has a plan for every life. It also says that Satan has a plan. I've heard others speak of this. The thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his plan for everyone. In the first place, steal the truth. And boy, has he done that in our country. Especially the truth about who Jesus is. But if you happen to find Jesus as your Savior, then his attack is to kill you prematurely through riotous living or some, uh, or, or some other way. He wants to take you out so that you can't affect other men and women with your faith. Then he wants to destroy you. He literally wants to steal the truth about Jesus. He wants to take you out and destroy you in the place called hell. Now, he has an attack on this country. We call it the cancel culture. According to Merriam-Webster, the cancel culture, fairly new concept, is the practice of withdrawing support or canceling public figures and companies. Perfect example coming up. He likes to cancel people. Nicholas Sandman, 16 years old, he gets to go on a field trip with the rest of his class, the highlight of his life, Washington, D.C., and he's going to stand for something. He's going to a pro-life rally. He can't hardly wait. But then he commits the cardinal sin of this culture. He saw a vendor. He had a couple of bucks, and he bought a MAGA hat. Now, you can abort a baby. Uh, you can use all vile language you want to in public now. But don't you dare wear a MAGA cap. Um, this poor, unfortunate Native American is there. And the cameras captured Nicholas. He was intimidating the Indian. He was in his face. The press got their story. CNN, NBC, ABC. 
Washington Post, USA Today, they all, Rolling Stone Magazine, look at this radical, intimidating, this poor, solitary Indian man. But you know, unfortunately for all of them, there were other cameras there that day. The press ran with the story, and they took this young man, and they squashed him like the bug they considered him to be. But you know, suddenly another video, and another video, and another video popped up, and he, this kid was doing nothing wrong. Some of those lawyers, like the one we'll have here tomorrow, filed lawsuits on his behalf because his reputation was destroyed. Just in the last few weeks, he started settling lawsuits. 250 million with the Washington Post. Other lawsuits of similar nature in the pipeline. A number of them. Now, let me tell you something. This kid will never have trouble buying a house, trust me. In fact, every, every uh, nonprofit will have him on their board before it's over with. May we have more men and young men like Nicholas. New York policemen were celebrated on 9-1-1-2001. Celebrated. Here they are. All of you remember where you were that day as they're charging up those stairs to rescue anyone they can in the midst of that horrific day. Nineteen years later, now we're canceling police. New York City cut their police by a billion. Los Angeles, 150 million. Austin, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, 150 million. You know, the fact is, the amount is irrelevant. You know what we're saying to our police officers? You're not valued. And they're walking away by the thousands. The only advantage of being a police officer through the years was that they were respected and loved and admired. But not in this day. Now it's not even safe to be known as a police officer. You know, my wife and I, we've been burdened about that. So about two weeks ago, she baked a chocolate chip pound cake with a knife laying beside it so I couldn't, it wasn't for me to cut. It was in case I tried to cut it. She was going to stab me because I love that cake so much. But she made that chocolate chip pound cake and she made three dozen chocolate chip cookies. I nearly lost my mind because I couldn't have any. You know what she did with them? She carried the pound cake down to the, to the county sheriff and shared it with all those sheriffs. And she took the three dozen cookies to the police department. Before she got home or shortly thereafter, I was on the phone with our sheriff and, and he was just, he just couldn't believe it. But we said, but you don't understand, sheriff. We love you. We pray for you. We honor you. You know, our intention was to simply say that we love those. And by the way, that wouldn't be a bad thing to come out of this meeting, that we all go back and love on our police officers and celebrate law enforcement day in your churches and bless them because they're under fire right now. I don't think I'll ever get a ticket in Nacogdoches County again. Now they're trying to cancel our history. You know, this is not about monuments. This is communism, divorcing the culture from their history. Now, let me tell you about those monuments. They're all flawed men and women. And the intent in obedience, by the way, to scriptural principle, you remember that after the crossing of the River Jordan, God instructed them to go out right in the middle, get those stones, build a, erect a monument, tell your kids what this is about. 
Folks, those monuments are there for us to teach the lessons, the good and the bad. But that we never forget. But that's not what's happening in America today. You know, the first great awakening had the profound effect of eliminating forever in the Western world this idea of the divine right of kings. For centuries, whatever the king said was the law of the land. If he wanted your wife, he just took your wife. If he wanted your land, he just took your land. And preachers and priests and others said, well, he has a divine right. In fact, they memorized all the verses that said we should honor the king. But the first great awakening brought that to an end. It stilled the spine of farmers and 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 merchants to take up arms against the most mighty military might in the history of the world to that point. But now we're in a different day. Now we have the divine right. Keep going. Next one. Spiritual apathy gave us the divine right of mayors and governors. And these men have the audacity to believe that whatever they say is the law of the land. But it must be because we have just willingly bowed down. Others have said plenty about that, so I won't go any further. But I want you to forever remember how quickly we surrendered. By the way, Satan never gives back ground that he's taken. You know that, don't you? It has to be taken back by force. And Steve Riggle was right. The first step is for us to learn once again how to go to God and cry out. But then after we pray, we get up and we take it back. Uh, our mayors and our governors now are picking and choosing the winners and the losers. These rioters are throwing bricks through the windows of small business all over our country. In Nacogdoches, first the shutdown, then 25%, then 50%. But by the time they got to 100%, half of our businesses were closed forever. Now, let me tell you something. In the meantime, these globalist countries, like, uh, companies like Walmart and Amazon, their business has exploded. Those small business owners attend your church. They tithe to your church. They give to the charities that come around they sponsor the little league teams. The owners are often the coaches. But not so with these multinational corporations whose God is money, have no allegiance to the United States, think nothing of exploiting the, uh, the, the poorest of the poor around the world, wherever they can get the cheapest labors, where they set up, set up their shops. And this is the beginning of the end if it's not reversed. You need to do what I did in 1996. Finally put your foot down and say enough is enough. You know, that was the title of my first book. Uh, J. Carl, that's how you advertise. But it's the only place I could find what I wanted to say. Do you understand something, folks? I am not a perfect man. Boy, have I failed. My wife will be the first to tell you that the remarkable thing is that God loves me and she loves me. A 50-year love affair. Gets better every day. Still the most beautiful woman I've ever met or seen. And I'll prove it to you. Time to stand up. Don't you, don't clap too loud. I want you to see my wife. 
Honey, stand up. Come on. She's also very shy. We've been married for 50 years in December. Humbly before God, I say this. A lot of people have said kind things about me over the last few days. I'm, I'm, you know, I hated getting old, but it has a benefit. People begin to feel sorry for you. They say nice things because they think you may die any day. I don't know of a time in my pastoral and preaching career when I was confronted with what was clearly evil that I didn't stand up and speak out and do everything in my power to stop it. One of my first battles with Steve was with Steve Regal back in the early 90s when we heard about a Christian man trying to take out a 30-year incumbent, one of the, the, the most liberal representatives in all of the Congress. Nobody could take him out. There was a young banker that was running and he called me to a meeting and I met Steve Riggle and about eight or ten other preachers. We said, man, this is a good guy. He didn't win that election cycle, but we just went to work again. And then he went to Congress. That was the first real battle I fought. And that's when I found out homosexuals could, you know, homosexuals, they're militant. We have forgotten, act up, how it all started. A lot of preachers bowed out of the battle because if you stood up against them, they take vials of AIDS blood and throw it in your face. And once they silenced anybody who would speak out against their sin, and oh, God forbid we call them sodomites, which reminds everybody of what they call normal sex. The first edition of Enough is Enough. I sought out medical advice and described all the diseases before AIDS and in addition to AIDS that they get because of the amount of fecal material they ingest. I know that's uh, not politically correct. But I know it's like to have a march down in front of our church following me around, writing vile things on the internet, taking everything I say out of context. But I'll tell you something. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't stand up, speak up, and refuse to give up, we've lost. We Christians, Billy Graham said, people say he wasn't political. Listen to this. We Christians are not to withdraw ourselves and refuse to, or neglect to go to the polls and vote. We have a Christian duty, an obligation to vote for the particular candidate that we believe to be the best qualified for the job he is seeking, Billy Graham, New Orleans, in 1954. Think about that. By the way, J. Carl, this is how you advertise. How does he get to hang this stuff up? All right? We're all very good friends. I hope you know that. In 2016, the Jonathan Project was conceived. In the heart and the mind of a godly man, I'll talk more about him in just a moment. But when they gathered some political types as well as some spiritual leaders, they also bought me a ticket and flew me to a meeting and asked if I would be willing to join their cause. And at that time, I was just handing the reins to Vision America over to a, to a, a younger man who had been our attorney and been a good friend of mine for many years. In the so doing, I became the founder and I stepped down as president. Gave him the keys to the, the little kingdom we had built called Vision America. Well, he had every right and he exercised that right to take it in a different direction. It took me about two years to understand all that. But in the meantime, I turned down an offer 
that in hindsight was probably God saving me a lot of pain. It's called the Jonathan Project. The Jonathan Project works with church leaders to teach the importance of voting. The Jonathan Project is a nonpartisan 501c3 organization. Nonprofit, in other words. The Jonathan Project was designed to be a friend to God's anointed. You know, the first question I asked when I got serious about becoming a part of the Jonathan Project is, what's a Jonathan Project? Why the name? And then I understood when Mr. Hershen, the founder, whom I'll say more about in just a moment, tell you who he is, as a billionaire and a committed Christian, he was always asking, why aren't Christians voting? And so when he decided to put his money into an operation to try to get voters registered or Christians registered and mobilized, he said, I want this ministry to become the friend to the anointed pastor, just like Jonathan was a friend to the anointed king. And I thought, what a brilliant, beautiful concept. The Jonathan Project, a friend to God's anointed pastor by serving and empowering the congregation to vote their values on election day. I looked at the sky every time I thought of one of these things. The Jonathan Project was conceived of in 2016 by Peter Hershen and Nathan Adams. Nathan, stand up if you will. He flew in to be a part of this conference. He's the CEO of the Jonathan Project. His claim to fame is he's run campaigns and worked with people like, like the Attorney General, uh, John Ashcroft and a host of others. He, he runs campaigns. He has a staff of 16 and is one of the best in his business. But the reason Mr. Hershen turned to him is he's known as a committed Christian. They gathered a group of people and sequestered them for three days. Mr. Hershen said, if you don't come up with an idea, I'm not paying your hotel bill. Kind of like we're doing to you. You know, we have all your credit card information. And if you don't sign up, you're going to get the bill for $1,400 each. So, but I know you are. And I'm kidding about that part. Peter Hershen owns Christian-oriented entertainment businesses in 10 states. He owns Dollywood, for instance. He owns Silver Dollar City. He owns the Harlem Globetrotters. Everything that he owns is bent toward giving Christians a place to go without being ashamed or embarrassed. And as an 80-year-old man wanting to leave a legacy, he said... I want to do what other voter registration operations have failed to do. He said, this is his testimony. I gave six-figure and seven-figure dollar checks to any number of groups that promised to get people registered. But when we actually checked, they weren't getting it done. Well, I tell you what, he holds us accountable. And we can produce you the factual records from the secretaries of state where we work that if we say we're going to do it, we're going to get it done by God's grace and the technology he's made available to us. I don't know if you've ever heard the term geofencing. I know just enough about that to be dangerous. But they use it in his theme parks. If you buy a hot dog, they know you like hot dogs. It's information anybody can get. Everybody in that world uses it. They can learn by the kind of things you like how to send you information on other theme parks. He said, why couldn't we use that to identify the registered voters in a church and find the unregistered voters, and then the pastor is empowered to get them registered. And so that's what he made available to us in this new operation.
Our mission is to reinforce our Christian duty to vote by identifying as Protestants, excuse me, voters identified as Protestants declined from 55% in 2010 to 47% in 2018. While the culture is getting more rotten, the Christians are getting harder to find when it comes to election time. And that's why you Texans need to realize that we almost lost a pro-life, pro-family senator who, would have def- who will defend our gun rights to one who will confiscate your, your gun rights, who will kill any baby he can find all the way through full term, and, and, and the senator that won the race that maintained that pro-life position won by only 1.6%. You know, that's when I decided... It was time for me to re-engage. In the intervening time, I traveled back and forth to Washington, D.C. and taught Bible study among members of Congress in the State Department. Uh, I had the joy of discipling one of the top leaders in the World Bank. I can't call his name for his privacy. But also worked in the Pentagon one-on-one with naval commanders and others that are now stationed around the world whom I still occasionally hear from. But I decided that God had called me to mobilize voters. I enjoyed being a pastor. I enjoyed teaching Bible to these cutting-edge leaders. But my primary calling has always been to find believers, and especially pastors who, like the sons of Issachar, understand the times and know what must be done. In fact, that's the reason I wrote the book Mighty Man. It's written, uh, my, uh, it was dedicated to my daughter, who was a, as... Uh, Pastor Blair so graciously said a couple of times, a world-class runner ranked in the top 10 in the 50K when she passed away of a heart attack. Um, She was taking uh, heavy-duty drugs because of her. she was diagnosed as having bipolar. And she couldn't take the normal drugs and still run because they were sodium-based. And so uh, Mr. Meyer of the Minneth Meyer Clinic, who worked with professional athletes, took her on as a project and found a way to keep her alive. But after about four years of distinguished running and winning conference championships in two, at two different universities, the University of Houston, and then she walked on at SFA because we lived in Nacogdoches and she wanted to be close to us, running 70 miles a week in training and taking those high-powered medications according to the doctors, she died of a heart attack. And a big hunk of our heart was ripped out. But we know where she is and we know where to find her. She's not lost. But I wrote the book in her memory. I took track and field events and used them for analogies. And it's written by a man, two men to become mighty men. Um, 2018, let's go to the next slide. By the way, that's the year I moved back to Texas. Men like Art Alley and others who had been on my board previously said, Rick, we never gave to that organization. We were giving to support you. And within a matter of weeks, we had our salary restored. And then the most incredible thing of all happened in January of this last year. The gentleman that stood up, he sent the chief operational officer all the way to Nacogdoches to sit with us again. Mr. Hurston heard I was no longer employed by my former employer, the organization I started. So he made a second run at it. And the joy of my life now is to have the kind of, of support that, that he can give us 
and the opportunity to focus on one thing, finding the pastors who get it and helping them get their people registered and mobilized to the polls. Our goal is to register and mobilize every Bible-believing Christian in America. Now, we probably won't get them all, but I'll promise you this. Elections are won on razor-thin margins. Just ask Senator Cruz. And if we can just bump up the number of evangelicals voting, two percentage points, we'll win all up and down the line. Help us get it done. Uh, we provide discussion guides on Christian faith and politics. We have all manner of tools, including a lesson on how George Washington's faith inspires us, a discussion guide for small groups with detailed discussion notes. You can go to our website and download it absolutely free. One thing Mr. Hirschen absolutely demands is we never ask for a dime from the churches. We give everything away. That's his commitment, his lasting legacy. What does Jonathan Project offer your church? Four weeks of small group curriculum, video interviews and discussion outlines, sermon starters to supplement your preaching. Now we have faith leaders coming from everywhere to help us. Go ahead. I want to I mention a few. David Jeremiah, part of your Christianity is going to the voting booth and making a selection. As a Christian, I, take, I must take every possible approach to uphold righteousness in society. So when something comes up that gives me the opportunity to vote for righteousness, to vote for things that honor God, to vote for things that, protest, that protect people from evil... I, as a Christian, have to vote what I think is the biblical standard, John MacArthur. Now, folks, I bought most of his books. I preached his material. My philosophy often was, if he and I disagree, he's right, I'm wrong. But when I went out to California early in my career to organize pastors, I went to see him. And he let me know real quick. That wasn't a meeting he was going to. Now he's holding the meetings. Praise God. Just recently, Franklin Graham, I once quoted Franklin Graham on a podcast and heard from one of his associates that we were not to quote him without permission because they're very protective of the reputation. When he discovered what we're doing, he said this, I am grateful to the Jonathan Project for their focused efforts to encourage Christians to vote. His son is now sitting on our board of directors. My friend Jim Dobson, I've been on this program a number of times, most recently to advance the Jonathan Project. He did something he never does. After we shut down the interview, he said, how are you guys doing financially? How many states are you working in? We're working in as many as we can. We had more money, we'd do more. He brought everybody back into the technical, all of his technical staff back in. We turned the lights back on and he made a public appeal for finances for Vision America, excuse me, for the Jonathan Project. Well, that, that's a 20-year habit. But he, we got thousands of dollars from his listeners because of his endorsement of what we're doing. And in fact, as best we can tell, it's the first time James Dobson and Franklin Graham have come together to sponsor the same effort. He said, I want to support what you're doing any way I can, Dr. James Dobson. Amen? Church leaders must take a stand. Next slide, James Robinson. The faithful must reclaim America. Pastor Rafael Cruz. Next slide. We have chosen to engage in the Jonathan Project because, frankly, 
there are members who aren't registered to vote. Nobody pushes it more than this man. But here's what we've discovered. Pastor, I'd be willing to stake my reputation, and if I were a betting man, a $100 bill. Actually, it wouldn't be a bet. I'd win. Less people in your church are registered than you think. No matter how many times you pass those cards out and ask them, they forget, they never think about it, then one day it's too late. And it'll be too late real soon in Texas. In fact, October the 3rd to be exact. Robert Jeffress realized that and gave us that quotation. What's at stake? Unless we the people get back to defending our God-given liberties, those liberties will become a gift known only to history. Jack Hibbs, whom we heard earlier this week, we're almost through. I want you to visit the jonathanproject.org and see the free downloadable materials. First class videos that you can brand as your own. The Bible study materials written, I edited them. Uh, Others wrote them, but I did the editing. And those are yours. You can brand them as your own, Pastor. There's no ownership on our end. We want to help you get your people out to vote. Take action today. Contact Jonathan Project for support, individualized training, connection to other pastors successfully using these principles. And then I want to leave that slide up. Our website, my personal email address, our national office telephone number. And about three months ago, I started a podcast called Mixing Church and State God's Way. Put it out every week. This week's edition will blow your mind as it exposes the truth about the American the Un-American Civil Liberties Union, founded by a communist, contemporary of Margaret Sanger and of Adolf Hitler, and a committed communist. That's who founded ACLU. You can get the facts on that podcast. Now, I'm going to do something that I've never done in 50 years of preaching. I'm giving you back 11 minutes. <laughs> 